One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. If you are someone who likes to save money while you're traveling and who doesn't, Today's episode is a budget travel bonanza because you're going to hear at least one, if not more, strategies that will help you save money on the road that you've never heard before. That's the goal anyway. And uh, I am always up for learning new ways to save money while I travel and sharing them with you. So I know you'll enjoy today's interview. Plus, a shout out to one of you listeners out there, which reveals maybe the top strategy for long-term travel success. Stick around for that and so much more. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for hanging out, sharing a little time with me here today, letting me bring some travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. We're talking budget travel today, extreme budget travel, I would say, certainly some of the things discussed in today's interview, not for everybody. And we talk about the culture around some of these forms of travel from somebody who's been living this lifestyle and this style of travel, traveling in this way for many, many years on a very small amount of money. I'm talking about the most he's made in a given year is $7,000. Usually he said he brings in about three dollars to $4,000 a year, yet he's been traveling for... I think a decade plus at this point, and wrote a book about his style of travel and all of the budget travel tricks that he's learned along the way. That's why it's a budget travel bonanza. And we do talk about the culture around what he calls being a punk nomad, people that are train hopping and hitchhiking regularly and dumpster diving and all of these things. And what are some of the myths and truths around that lifestyle? You can hear it all today. And towards the end of the interview, I share some of my favorite budget travel strategies from his book, a few things that I either haven't done or hadn't thought of or just haven't seen very much in writing in terms of tips that can help any style of traveler. And speaking of that, when I was preparing to record today, this very segment, I was wondering, okay, what is it about budget travel that makes it so interesting and fun in many ways. And I was thinking about the spectrum of 
traveler, or I shouldn't say traveler. I, I, I would say the spectrum of the budget because the budget really doesn't define the traveler. You know, you can have money in the bank and still travel like you're broke. You can be broke and still travel like you're rich in some ways using different techniques like travel hacking and things like that. So you have this budget spectrum. You have like extreme budget, which we'll talk about today, and then all the way to luxury travel, right? And and where we fall within that while we travel can really change our experience in some ways, like no matter where we are, chances are we might have some travel experiences that we wouldn't have otherwise had if we were somewhere else on that spectrum at any given moment. And then of course, you can apply your personality to that spectrum, right? So if you go to like the extreme budget side, like you can, you know, internally be like psycho about your budget, like just crazy about like, I got to keep to my budget, I got to spend as little money as possible, all the way to the to the luxury side, which, you know, some people are crazy about, like, I mean, I've never gotten to, you know, rent a private plane or something like that. Um, but I'm sure there are people out there that are <laughs> extreme luxury travelers as well. It's just not my style of travel. It's not like I don't enjoy luxury travel. I certainly got to experience some very nice things in my time out on the road. And I think, you know, comparing those things, like the luxury experiences I've had that I've paid for, or like, you know, a nice hotel or something like that, for example, versus like when I get that on a budget somehow, there's something like, I don't know, there's a little bit of a, I'll just say it. I guess I kind of get off a little bit. It's like a secret joy when you're having some epic experience and it's costing you nothing. I can think about, uh, for example, when I was working as an adventure travel tour guide one summer, and part of my job was to offer some additional experiences on the road to people that might want to take those that were part of my group. So uh, there were some people in my group that wanted to do a helicopter ride over the Grand Canyon. And the thing about it is, if you're the guide and you have a certain number of people show up or sign up, I should say, then you get that experience for free. So I got to go on a helicopter ride over the Grand Canyon for free with people in my group who were paying. And that's just something they wanted to do. I didn't tell them they had to do it. They just wanted to do this and have this experience because they were traveling to the States and they thought it would be cool. But I got to go for free. Now, if I paid for that helicopter ride, it still would have been awesome. But something about it was like extra awesome because <laughs> I didn't have to pay for it. Uh, and you know, recently, I just booked a trip for my wife. She's going to be staying at the W Hotel in Amsterdam because she deserves it. And uh, this hotel is like over 500 euros a night, but I'm using hotel points. So we're getting it for free. That's, by the way, some stuff that I teach over at zerototravel.com. If you want to learn about how you can get you know, $500 plus hotel rooms uh, for free and different things like that, you should sign up over there. Because of course, we talk about all this stuff on the podcast and you've heard that stuff here, but there's also some stuff going on over on zerototravel.com. So if you want to get more tips around that, sign up. Anyway, I remember also having like million dollar views from the mountain hostel in Switzerland, for example, up in Gimmelwald. So these types of experiences that you have when you're on like the budget side of the spectrum, but you're you're having like a luxury experience or it doesn't even have to be luxury, quote unquote. It could be just something that gives you a special feeling, like just hanging out and watching the sunset or enjoying a good coffee at a cafe while you're looking at an ancient Roman ruin or something like that. Whatever. It doesn't have to cost a lot to be worth a lot to you. And with budget travel, I find that, first of all, the label 
is a little weird because it then all of a sudden lumps us all into this category. And I don't think anybody's always a true budget traveler. Like, right, we're going to have to spend money on experiences. We might have days where we splurge or maybe we splurge on entire trips. It's all good. We're all here to enjoy travel. And really, we're going to fall on various points in that spectrum, I think, uh, most of us at least, when it comes to our mindset and also our actual budget. So just some interesting things to think about for yourself. You know, How does your budget play into your experience? Is it hindering you? Is it being uh, supportive and enhancing your travel experiences? You know, some of that comes down to the money mindset and different things like that. I don't know. A lot around that. This show is not all about that topic, but maybe there's an entire separate show there. I'm not sure. If you want to hear it, let me know. You know how to get in touch with me on email, Twitter, or whatever. Okay, just a couple last things before we get into today's interview. I've got a shout out I'm going to be sharing at the end of the show, which reveals one strategy that may be the key to long-term travel. So stick around till after the interview for that. And you just heard me touch on how your budget can open up certain travel experiences you may not otherwise have had, whether you're on the extreme luxury side or the extreme budget side or somewhere in the middle. That's the same with language as well. I think when you speak the local language when you're traveling, you are opening up experiences that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And that's why I highly recommend you check out the Pimsleur audio language learning courses. If you go to zerototravel.com slash easy and you're out of the States, you can get a free lesson. If you're based within the States, you can sign up for a free trial to their low monthly subscription service and access all of the language lessons in any language you are learning or want to learn. And you're going to love this because you get to learn on the go. I mean, if you like listening to podcasts, I feel you. I mean, I make a podcast because I'm a podcast fan. It was something I was into. I just love that you can pop your headphones in and learn on the go or listen in your car and take it with you anywhere. And if you want to open up your travel experience in a way that is totally unique, learn some of the local language to a place that you're visiting. And it's really easy to do with the Pimsleur language courses. It's also very inexpensive. Again, you can learn on the go. And this is the same language learning method used by places like the FBI and the State Department. They've been around for 50 plus years. It's an incredible company. I am a huge fan of this service. I'd been using them before they even started supporting the podcast. So I was thrilled that they wanted to support the podcast. So if you go to zerototravel.com slash easy, check out the Pimsleur language audio courses. You're going to love them. And you're going to be, I think, blown away by how quickly you start speaking and learning words and how this will really alter your travel experience forever. And you know this already if you've said a few phrases or sentences or words in some other language when you were visiting someplace and how people respond to you, how it can literally open up doors, help you forge new friendships with locals. And I admit I've been lazy in the past. You know, if I'm going to a country where I speak a little bit of the language, yeah, I can brush up a little and then I can get by and, and I get to have those wonderful experiences. But there have been countries I've visited, like Portugal, for example, where I didn't take any time to learn some of the local language. And I wish I had. And it's so easy to do with these Pimsleur audio courses. So next time, I'm just going to download them and <laughs> take them on the plane with me at the very least, right? I mean, or listen to them like a week before my trip and you'd be surprised at how much you can learn how quickly with these courses. So check out that link. And the subscription service works really easily. Instead of paying like 
hundreds of dollars for all the lessons in a certain language. You can get a free seven-day trial if you're based in the States, and then you can get access to all of those lessons for a low monthly price, kind of like Netflix does with uh, movies and TV shows or whatever. Same type of idea. And if you're out of the States, they're working on offering that there. But in the meantime, you can still get access to a free lesson and check out some of the stuff they have to offer, which even if you're paying you know, f- for the entire language... To me, it's well worth the price with how much you learn, how quickly, and how quickly you start speaking. So anyway, thanks to Pimsleur for supporting today's show. And if you decide to go through that link and get any of their products, you'll also be supporting this podcast. So thank you for that. Now let's slip and slide into today's interview. And I'll see you on the other side, my friend. My guest today is the founder of SquatThePlanet.com, the world's largest social network for misfit travelers. And he's the author of the new book, The Anarchist's Guide to Travel, a manual for future hitchhikers, hobos, and other misfit wanderers. And he's also my buddy. And I'm excited to welcome him to the show. Matt Derrick, welcome back to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. (laughs) <laughs> thanks jason <laughs> thanks for having me on dude it's awesome to have you back we, you were on we were trying to figure it out right before we were recording we did an episode called the other side of budget travel we talked about train hopping gatherings wander punk and some of the stuff we're going to talk about today yeah you can listen to that in the archives I, I don't remember when that was you you wrote like a kick-ass book dude congratulations that's no small feat you know it, it took a lot of time and, and a lot of effort but uh it was definitely worth it I think the last time, not the last time we spoke, but I know you were talking about the book and then you went off to Slab City, I think, to write it and you just disappeared off the grid and we were, you know, <laughs> you were hel- you were helping us with some different things and we're kind of working together on some things and then like, yeah, you just, you just went and then you came back and you sent me this book and I'm like, oh, you did it. That's like, what an awesome thing. Like, say so I'm going to go write the book and you do it. It's not an easy thing to do. How was the process of like putting everything you know about this this lifestyle and this sort of subculture of travel, which we're going to talk about today into a book. I'm just curious, like what that was like for you. Well, it was pretty interesting in the fact that like I was fortunate enough to be, like you said, uh, living in slab city, which is kind of like a squatter town in the desert of Southern California. And it's like a very like kind of hippie vibe out there. And it's, it's relaxed and fun. And and we get to party kind of post-apocalyptic, Mad Max Wasteland, but there's not a whole lot of internet, which is both good and bad because, you know, it's like a great place to get away from everything and work on a project like writing a book, but also like you're just not going to be very connected to many people, you know, outside of that area. It was a blessing really because, you know, it just let me focus entirely 100% on writing the book. And it was like, I've never been a person that has very good discipline so I'm just kind of like isolating myself like that and just forcing myself to write like several pages a day over, you know, basically a year was just like a really good thing for me. And I learned a lot about myself and like building, building discipline and habits and writing in general, you know. I enjoy it a lot. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, was the original intention just to share the knowledge, right? It wasn't because you you thought you loved writing. Yeah, not exactly. I mean, people have told me I'm uh, that I'm a really good writer, but like I said, I I have just I'm a horrible at discipline, so I don't write very often. 
but you know, when I set out to write this book, it was basically just to like answer all the the most often questions that I get uh, from people on my website at at Squat the Planet, and just kind of like answer the most common questions I get about the lifestyle and traveling, and then uh, and then basically give like people like a point of reference for like other resources they could check out like books and documentaries and websites and other things on particular subjects that are covered in the book uh, so that they can learn more information, you know? Yeah. Congrats once again. And you are a fantastic writer. Actually, I was saying that right, right before we got on the Thank call. You. I was like, well done on this <laughs> book, man. I'm just so excited for you. And the cover is killer. I'll put a link in the show notes. So you can check out the book or at least check out the cover. The cover is so great. Shelby Criswell is the person who did the cover. Uh, the, the website is uh, shelbychriswell.com. It's just a, a, a member on the forums at Squat the Planet that I uh, got to know and offered to do some work for us previously, like doing posters and things like that for some of the events that we have around the Squat the Planet community. Uh, so finally, I just approached her about doing the cover, and it just it just worked out so well. I mean, it's a beautiful cover. I love it. Their art style is a very like punk rock, like meets comic book type style that I just I always fell in love with for the first time I saw it. So I, I highly encourage people to check them out uh, at their website. Like I said, it's uh, shelbycriswell.com. Uh, they do comic books and comic strips and all kinds of art and stuff. And uh, they do consignment work too. I, I was reading your bio and you said you started traveling in 1998, which is the same year I started traveling actually. And I realized nice. the other day, so it was <laughs> February of 98 when I started like first living nomadically, even though I didn't know I was going to do that at the time. And I realized, holy crap, that was 20 years ago now, which is crazy. Yeah, it's hard. it's weird to think about. <laughs> <laughs> so you're very knowledgeable about I, I don't know what to call it. I mean, is it scene or or like a culture? I guess would be the right thing. And you mentioned I like I mean uh, culture. <laughs> for me personally, I always use the term "quote unquote" scene to like insult something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, if it, if it's something I like, it's a culture or a community. Travel punk is kind of like the best term I've come up to like label it because it just I mean it's a community that that hates labels uh, <laughs> you know uh, but you know it's like that whole underground scene of like hitchhikers and uh, train hoppers and people that go on bike tours and live on sailboats and just like every like means of like alternative travel that is just like either do it yourself and or you know just as cheap as possible usually free if 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 it's at all possible mm -hmm. yeah i'm gonna share some of my favorite tips from the book that i pulled out and there were a whole bunch i mean i couldn't list all of them but i i learned a lot reading the book and i've been traveling for a while and, and you know traveling on a budget before and stuff like that but there were so many sort of small things that you mentioned in this guide that were really useful, I think, for any traveler. I, I guess you don't have to be an anarchist to get value out of it is what I'm saying. You know, within the culture that you're talking about, travel punk is what you call it in the book. Why, why anarchists in the title? What is it about anarchy? Or like, how do you... I mean, there's a definition for that, but how do you see anarchy fitting into this culture? When I thought of the title, I was just like, I really want to see that on a bookshelf. 
you know, just because like <laughs> I thought it'd be funny, you know, like oh, like what the hell, that anarchist guy to travel, like sounds like the anarchist cookbook or something, you know. Uh, I figured it'd be something someone would have to pick up off a shelf, you know. But also, you know, I think it is kind of representative of the culture as a whole, just because like basically like the the type of community that is around Squat the Planet and this culture of like underground travel uh, really kind of like originated from punk rock uh the music scene you know from like the late 70s and early 80s you know uh, just basically the whole like diy like do it yourself you know basically figure out like how can we do this for like little or no money you know which is basically like the the hardcore tenements of punk rock music but you know at a certain point like punk rock definitely kind of like broke free of its like uh musical boundaries a long time ago and just kind of went into all different types of subjects and i think like that's like really like the subgenre of travel that this book covers is how to like travel by any means necessary and there's some pretty extreme stuff in the book i understand is not for everybody but uh i mean some people look at me weird when i mention dumpster diving and uh you know or, or like even train hopping too is like pretty extreme but you know there's a lot of people out there that do it and they do it because they want to travel and they probably couldn't by any other means you know I mean, a lot of traveling tends to have like a high barrier of cost for a lot of people. But in this subculture, like we try to remove all cost if possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is the reason for travel for the majority of the people? I know it's going to be a broad range because you're talking about individuals. But I think sometimes like, you know, you see people panhandling on the street and they got the tattoos and like the punk rock gear on and, and you just assume oh like they ran away from home because a bad situation or something like that but that's not necessarily the case i mean people are traveling for for the sake of travel and just to have that experience so like i just want to dispel some of the things that people might see like on the surface level and what it actually is you know yeah totally uh i think for a lot of people i mean people just want to like escape in some form or, or another i mean like you said it runs the whole gamut of just like all different types of groups to people but some people are just like bad situations but you know others are just like utterly bored of like their corporate life or whatever you know <laughs> just like want some kind of alternative to seek out and like and make some kind of like life change you know because i mean traveling really does like absolutely changes your life uh, especially if you've never done it before it might be slightly off the subject, but like, I mean, one of my favorite quotes about travel is that travel is a rebellion in its purest form. And I think that's absolutely true just because like, you know, if you're traveling, you're doing something that's completely outside of the norm of what most people will do. Most people just kind of sit around and, and do the same thing all the time. But, you know, like a lot of people, uh, especially in the subculture, are like trying to seek some way to like change their lives and, or, or experience life more richly or you know kind of like get out and 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 break out of that mold that they're stuck in and for a lot of people it's finding some way to like hitchhike or uh, uh do a bike tour or like i said the whole boat punk thing where people like fix up sailboats and go sailing around the world i mean there's all kinds of like options i feel like i've covered pretty much all of them in this book so i mean most people are just looking to make like some kind of like positive life change or you know, just kind of experience life more and, and from different perspective. Is it a pretty small world? Like once you kind of hook up with other people and 
in the culture. I'm not going to call it a scene because I don't want to insult you, but, um, <laughs> you know, because it seems like, you know, you and your travel experience, you were bopping around on the West Coast for a while. And I mean, you tell the story in the beginning of the book, which is hilarious how you started traveling. I'm still not quite sure if you were like, you knew you were taking off, but you told your parents you were just going to like Seattle to play a show with your band or something, right? But you were actually like leaving home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I knew they wouldn't take it too well. I mean, their little baby uh, bird leaving the roost or whatever. You know? <laughs> like, well, do you have uh, any brothers and sisters? I do. Two younger uh, okay. brothers. Yeah. So you're the oldest. Yeah. yeah. So I was the first out of the house. My, and my, my, you know, my mom, moms are so protective and stuff. And I was just like, well, I mean, it might not have been the best decision at the time, but like, <laughs> I, I I told them what they needed to hear. And <laughs> I got out of there. It's so punk rock. You're like, I'm not telling my mom the truth. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, I I knew that. I mean, because we grew up in Idaho, and uh, I knew that moving to Los Angeles was they were gonna like flip out. But so I was just like, I'll just tell them when I get there. It'll be fine. Yeah, like I described in the book, though, you know, like my car never made it and it ended up breaking down. And I mean, I totally, I totally fell into this lifestyle, like completely by accident, just meeting other punk rock traveler kids with backpacks and stuff. And, and they were telling me about hitchhiking and train hopping and all kinds of stuff. And I was just like, dude, sign me up, you know, <laughs> like... Uh, you were so, you were kind of like interested right away. There was no question. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I was just like, I ain't got nothing else to do. Like, I, I sold everything in my car, and I was just like, got a backpack, and like, let's do this. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> and you were off and running. Yeah, pretty much. Haven't really looked back since, for the most part. Were you just traveling full time then for how many years? I mean, I started in like 1998, and then. It was like two, almost three years where I lived in LA for a little while. And then, uh, but after that, it was just like balls out full time until uh, like 2008. So, you know, six years or so. And then I honestly got kind of bored of the train hopping thing and being being a hobo, uh, like wandering around the country. I mean, I had a lot of fun, but I, I also kind of wanted to broaden my horizons a little bit. So that's when I got my school bus and I started traveling around in a school bus for uh, about three years. And then, and then since then, I mean, I've just kind of like explored like all different kinds of like subgenres of this subgenre of travel. In the book, I cover, you know, like uh, I, I went sailing for a while. Like I've done several bike tours, um, you know, hitchhiking, train hopping, flying around, all that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, just kind of like exploring like every avenue I can of like DIY travel. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at today. I mean, most of the, these days, I mean, I am getting a little bit older, so I'm like 38 now. So I'm like, eh, you know, I don't train, I don't train hop as much anymore. Uh, hitchhike every once in a while, but mostly I, I, I've gotten pretty comfortable with RV travel. I don't think I'll ever stop traveling. It's just the the modes might get a little more comfortable. <laughs> How do you think the culture has changed over time from now compared to when you first started i mean there's gotten a little more media coverage and things like that but i mean overall i don't think it's really changed all that much it it's definitely a small community i mean 
I have no statistics or hard facts to reference, <laughs> but I would I would ballpark and say that maybe there's like I want to say somewhere around like maybe five thousand travel punks in the United States. I mean, I kind of almost pitched it as maybe like ten thousand before, but I think that might be a little high, you know. But there's always like people like it, it's a very um, transient communities so like people will you know dip their toe in and travel for like a little while maybe even a couple years and then go back to normal life and do whatever you know and that's totally fine and like and then there's like some long life people you know like myself and like there's always people coming in and people going out so i feel like there's kind of that pool of people in the middle that are currently doing it i don't feel like it's changed all that much except for in terms of like maybe technology I mean, I do remember like when I had like a flip phone, flip cell phone on a, on a train, and people were like, "What? Like that's so like what are you, you Mr. Fancy Pants over here? Hobo has a cell phone, <laughs> and now every 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 kid on a train has a cell phone. You know, it's just like it's just that accessible nowadays. So uh, small things like that. Yeah, I mean, are people pretty accepting? Like, or is it going to be like, hey, I got to feel this guy out, is this guy, or is this gal, you know, is she really punk rock? Like, is she going to be able to hang? Or I mean, is it good, like, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like, especially the Squat the Planet community, like, tends to attract people that are very, like, open-minded and accepting of other people. Um, there's no doubt, like, there, there's definitely a little bit of elitism. I think most of it comes from the train hopping scene, which is... It definitely attracts a lot of people that are, are a little more like, well, I rode this many miles on a train this year, and uh, so I'm a little bit better than you type of folks. Right, uh, right. But so you're going to find that in like any travel scene. Like I've been I to this so. many countries. I, you know, whatever. Like who cares? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a little bit of that high school clickish thing, you know. And I'm just like, man, I, I started traveling to get away from that stuff. So don't. Don't give me that smack. Especially on Squad the Planet, like we we really like work towards encouraging an atmosphere of accepting everyone, no matter where they are from or how new they are to the lifestyle or whatever. Because everybody came from somewhere, you know. Like none of us were born out of the womb, like you know, riding trains. Right. (laughs) Right. So yeah. The Traveler's Code of Ethics you put together was pretty cool. And it's so funny because I was just thinking about doing something similar on Zero to Travel pretty recently. And then I was flipping through your book and I saw yours and it was like... The the reason I did that in my book was just because like there has been like one of the problems because it's, you know, like no culture is like completely problem free, obviously. And one of the problems that like our culture has had is... Um, which I describe as like like scum fucks and uh, rainbows and other types of people, just like kind of crappy, basically crappy travelers, you know, uh, people that that like kind of take and take and don't give back and whatnot. Because one of the things I wanted to do with this book was not only like tell people like how they can travel if they choose to, but also like kind of like provide just a, a vague moral guideline, just so that. There isn't those types of people, more of those types of people coming into this community and kind of encouraging a, a culture of like responsibility and like giving back to the community rather than just like taking whatever you can get, 
you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and one of the one of the code of eth- on the code of ethics, I should say, was uh, one of them was only steal from corporations, not people. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you're taking yeah. a little bit just from not from people, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, well, yeah, I mean, corporations aren't people, despite what the law says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I know why corporations are people. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about some of the the problems or or what people might see as problems and and what maybe people in the culture might not see as problems and and, and society might see it a different way or like, you know, regular people that might encounter some travel punks out there. But like panhandling, for example, and you had some good stuff in the code of ethics about about that. But what's up with the with the panhandling? I think that's something that really irritates a lot of people on the on city streets you know like in portland or places like that where there are a lot of travel punks congregating like can you talk a little bit about that sure um now not everyone in the community is going to agree with me my opinion is not the most popular opinion (laughs) um but i do think a lot of people tend to abuse it my personally my philosophy is that i will work someplace i'll usually stop in whatever city i'm traveling through get a job for like two or three months save up money and then like make that money last another two or three months after that you know and just kind of like it's like a a a seasonal work cycle or you know um yeah just traveling and working in shifts i kind of call it that's like my preferred method but there's like times in between where you might just be totally stuck somewhere or uh, you just end up in a bad spot. I mean, things happen, uh, especially when you're DIY traveling by the seat of your pants like this, you know, like you might just be in a stuck in a crappy situation and you're just like, man, I just need 20 bucks to get to the next town or I need 20 bucks so I can get some freaking food today. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I tend to encourage people to, to try and plan their travels and like, try to avoid doing that as much as possible uh, just because I do think there's a lot of people that abuse the kindness of strangers. And in my opinion, that's not very punk rock. (laughs) Some people like to argue the fact that like, Oh, I'm just like living outside the system and I don't want to work, but you're really just making other people do the work for you uh, that you're getting the money from who are probably not in a situation that far removed from, from your own. So it's just like, I, I again, I encourage people to just like, I'm not saying you have to completely sell out and like get a, a job you really, really hate. But, you know, it's just you know, try and find something that you can do to support yourself and then and then save up and move on and make that money last as long as you can. And uh, what about squatting? I don't think you're going to have a problem with that. I mean, squat the planet, right? But uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> How does that work? There are some places where people have been for years somehow. I, I I don't understand how that happens. Like how does a building stay abandoned for that long? And and like how do you how do you find these places? Do you have to like be in the know? Sometimes. I mean it, it helps to know what to look for. Um the type of squatting that we're talking about is like occupying uh, abandoned buildings for the purposes of like either providing shelter for people or or you might go so far as to like start like a community center or something like that squatting as uh, a form of activism is uh as uh existed for quite a while especially in europe it's a lot bigger in europe than it is in the united states just because 
there are more laws protecting squatters in most parts of Europe than there are here in the United States. There's basically no no squatting laws protecting uh, people in the U.S. for the most part. There's adverse possession, but that's a whole other subject entirely. I'm big on the history of squatting, and I and I am very passionate about it in terms of activism because I do believe that the idea of property. Like there's a saying, the anarchist saying that property is theft in the sense that like I'm not against like private property. Like I shouldn't be able to like come on into your house and just start squatting on your dinner table. Um, <laughs> that would be that would be awkward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, in the sense of private property, like places that are empty, owned by corporations or the city, the places that are not being used or just being set like unoccupied as tax write-offs or anything like that, you know, should uh, be used, basically seized for the, the, the good of the community and repurposed either for like housing the homeless or, you know, starting community centers or uh, something like that. And like I said, in Europe, this is a, it's been a big thing for several decades. Uh, not so much here in the United States, just because again, the differences in the laws, but in terms of like travelers and the and what I cover specifically in my book, uh, squatting is like basically just like I mean, if you see an abandoned building that you can make use of as a shelter while you're traveling, like then you should absolutely do that, and I encourage that. And uh, I kind of give you some tips on how not to blow up a squat and how to stay safe and not get arrested and. Uh, not cause and also not cause trouble for the community and things like that, you know, because I've lived in places that were, you know, abandoned office structures that kids just drink and party in. And then there's like, you know, also other like I've lived in squats in like, say, like New Orleans that were just like we, you know, actively like fixed up the house uh, and made it better as a kind of like way of getting back, giving back to the community. You know, I mean, some of these abandoned houses could be. You know, in a lot of situations, it could be like uh, crack dens or something or just like, you know, people most of the time would rather have like uh, an abandoned house being occupied on their block by people that are squatting it and like living and contributing and rebuilding it than having it be like abandoned and uh, just open to whatever crime or whatever, you know, so – that's kind of like the gist of it. I don't, I don't know if I covered everything that you're asking about on that, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've just seen some of your pictures from them, and I'm just curious, like, uh, what it's like because I haven't stayed at one of those places, and I, I think maybe you know that kind of thing's not going to be for everybody. But one thing that I think a lot of travelers listening to this show are probably going to encounter, might encounter, I've certainly encountered it and dealt with it, is you know trying to figure out places to sleep when. You know, either you don't want to pay for a place or you don't have a place to sleep because every place is booked or whatever. By far, like the biggest cost of travel is like finding a place to stay, right? I mean, even if you're staying in like hostels and things like that, like there's a certain point where it becomes a little bit unsustainable just to have like the pleasure of a roof over your head uh, when you're wandering around. I mean, God forbid hotels. I mean, hotels are like hundred plus dollars a day. That's a lot more money than most people make in a day, you know what I mean? So, I mean, squatting is a little more on the extreme side. Uh, I mean, there's always hospitality exchange and things like that. But, I mean, like I said, this book is all about, like, travel by any means necessary. So, 
let's uh you know uh do whatever you can to to uh not spend money <laughs> yeah well where i was kind of going was yeah i mean you mentioned hostels of course and that's something people are familiar with but also you know stealth camping and wilderness camping or squatting or whatever you want to call it you know staying for free in a tent somewhere which you have done a lot. I mean, I, I've done it, but you've done it quite a lot, I think. I mean, like for, for months and, and sort of like, I know even when we were talking in, in contact a bunch before you went to Slab City, at one point, I don't know if it was a year ago or so, you were living like right outside of Austin and like just biking to work every day and just living living in the city, but you were camping, so you weren't... A lot of people would look at that as like, like quote unquote homeless or whatever. Uh, I, I like to refer to it as home free, Uh, (laughs) just because like I was having a really good time. I mean, I, I'm just, all I was doing is just camping every day. Like, uh, in, I was camping in the woods of like Eastern Austin, Texas. And, and like you said, biking to work and having a great time and just saving up mad loot for my next leg of traveling, you know? I liked it. I had a, I had a good time. Um, I forgot what you were going to ask me. Yeah, I was. I that. just wanted to hear a couple of your tips on stealth camping, like a couple of tips from the book. You know, one of the biggest things to look out for, honestly, it's sad to say in in the state of the world today, but like your biggest enemies uh, <laughs> when uh, wild camping or stealth camping or anything like that are going to be the police. And that was my next uh, question. Cra- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, other crazy homeless people sometimes, you know, but if you choose your locations carefully and you're really, you, you don't make, don't draw attention to yourself, there's no reason you couldn't like just pitch a tent in the woods somewhere, uh, you know, if it's relatively remote and live in, in, and have a good place to sleep that's safe and uh, not, you know, get in any trouble, you know. thing about the police though is that the police, I mean, the police will, will don't, they don't understand any of this stuff. Police can barely wrap their heads around people like like van dwellers, like living in their cars, you know, even if they have like a really nice setup, you know. I mean, if you're not living inside of a house, like authorities in general will consider you homeless, you know. And if you're homeless, well, then there's something wrong with you. And that's unfortunate that that's the prevailing view, but, you know, that's kind of the way it is right now. So you got to be very careful and pick a good place that is kind of isolated and away from other people. And usually, most of the time, you won't get messed with too much. I've had very good luck. I mean, I'm just very particular about where I choose to be, and I've had very few, if any, interactions with the police so well like what are some of your tips though from the community and and from your personal experience around dealing with the cops because a lot of the things you talk about in the book like if you if you do dumpster dive or you do you know squat or camp legally or whatever like you might have to deal with the cops at some point so do you have any advice around that dealing with the cops man <laughs> the man <laughs> oh no it's the cops <laughs> i always think of that line from super bad like oh no it's the cops the cops saying it. it's great um, <laughs> yeah people ask questions on scott the planet like hey i'm on the run <laughs> like, i, I want to go travel and i'm like man this is not the lifestyle for you <laughs> because you are undoubtedly going to have some kind of interactions with the police at some point. I mean, especially a lot of stuff that I advocate in this book is 
it might not necessarily be illegal, but it's 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 out there. It's on the fringe for sure. Uh, like I said, authorities are not going to be understanding to that type of stuff. So, uh, in terms of like dealing with the police, I mean, the best thing you can do is. Uh, I hate saying this, but like it's so much easier when you have an ID and like you're just like yes sir yes ma'am uh and you just kind of like tell them what they need to hear uh, whatever you have to do to like get yourself out of that situation i know a lot of travelers especially in our community like to be the types who are like i'm gonna be like you know uh what's his name super tramp and burn all my ids and <laughs> you know and, and stuff like that and like live in, into totally the wild the grid. yeah yeah and that's fine. That's totally cool. I have mad respect for that. Uh, but in reality, it's like it's kind of like really hard to like not have an ID when the police are like questioning you because you know they they don't like that at all. Uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> no, not big fans of the idealist person. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I just want to be free, the man. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the, the best thing you can do is just be really careful uh, and just do whatever you can to make sure the interactions don't happen in the first place. Uh, like that can be just like being very sneaky about like like going in and out of the squat that you're staying in. You know, if you're staying there with a bunch of other people, like don't have raging parties, you know, uh, you know that, that attract a lot of attention and noise. And then the neighbors call the cops and then, you know, the cops are at your squat, which you're not supposed to be in, you know, and a lot of people get arrested or whatever, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, you can even get picked up for like doesn't even have to be that extreme it could be hitchhiking or you know oh absolutely whatever i mean yeah. if if you're hitchhiking that's the number one thing that will get your id run the most amount of times because i can't i can't count how many times the cop has stopped you know while i'm sitting there with my thumb out on the road because i mean they're just war they're warrant checking right like because the the assumption is that like well if you're if you can't afford to you must you know, be run, a, you must be have done something bad yeah yeah, exactly. So it's all that kind of criminalization of the poor and things like that. Um, so, I mean, I've had my ID run countless times. But, you know, again, I don't really have a criminal record uh, for the most part. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I just let them – I'm just very respectful. I'm like, eh, you know, like uh, just – I try to convey with body language especially – on top of just being polite and like, yes, no, sir, and all that stuff, uh, that I'm not a threat. Like, I'm, hey, I'm just a dude. I'm hanging out, just like hitchhiking and meeting people. I'm very casual. I'm not like, oh, oh, you know, like, I'm afraid you're going to find something out about me or anything like that, you know? Right, right. Like, not, you're not looking like you're trying to hide something or whatever. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you're not doing anything wrong, you know? You're just like, traveling. It, you're, you're not. I know, but you know how it is. Like, even it doesn't matter. Like when you're even when you're driving a car and the cops behind you, like you get like that feeling. Like, oh yeah, oh, oh man, yeah. like they're gonna that. get me. It's like, but wait a minute, I'm not doing anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, I always tell I people, I'm like, man, you, you never look in your rearview mirror and see a cop and and say to yourself, wow, I feel so much safer right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like no. they're all. I mean, you know, you can't generalize cops either and say they're all like bad and they're not going to help you or anything it's like you know it's but you just get nervous in, in general you know for no reason 
Well, I wanted to ask you about saving and earning money and just getting some tips around that. Because according to your bio, you said you've spent every year since 98 exploring the United States with an annual income that has never exceeded $7,000. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's on the high end for sure. Yeah, really? I mean, wow. I, the way I wrote it in the book, it kind of conveys that that's like what you needed. And I was like, no, that's not right. Because like my average income has probably been around three to $4,000 a year. Like I said, seven thousand dollars was on the t- on the high end. That's like a really good year where I was just I don't know I was working a lot or I was trying to save up for a vehicle or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's weird to think about that I'm like 38 and I've never seen an income that's anywhere near what most people would consider normal. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you've had all these incredible travel experiences, like. Is that ever like a consideration for you? Like, oh, if I earn too much, like say this book sells a bunch or something, like are you, like you're going to lose your street cred or something? Is there like some subconscious <laughs> thing that like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I mean, some of my friends in the hitchhiker and, and train hopping communities, they, they kind of rib me a little bit, poke fun, you know, if I'm living in an RV, but I'm just like, whatever, fuck you guys. Like, I, I'm old. Like that's, too, like, that's too posh. Living in an RV is like too sometimes, posh. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. It depends on the RV. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, they're always like half kidding, you know, like, uh, but uh, honestly, I think if I got like somehow got rich, you know, I think it would, I think it would spoil a lot of, of my travels. I mean, to be totally honest, I mean, and, and I'm using rich in like the a very conservative terms, you know what I mean? If I, if I made like 30 grand a year, I don't know, I don't think I know what I would do with that, you know, besides go do a lot of international traveling, you know? Again, it comes back to like one of the reasons I wrote this book too, and one and one of the reasons I run the Squat the Planet community is just because like I do feel like money can uh, put up an artificial barrier between yourself and like experiencing certain types of of cultures. I, I think a good example would be like I mean, if you're running around like uh, Western Europe and just living in hostels all the time you're really not going to meet like the same people that you would if you were like actively like moving amongst the transient squatter scene, you know what I mean? Or a community like you're going to meet a whole different like subset of people. And I feel like removing money as a barrier, uh, between it in your travels, like kind of like, I don't know. It just, I feel like it more personally like connects you, uh, with the people, uh, at a street level. And I, I don't know. I just I find I have more genuine and interesting experiences that way. I mean, I just feel like especially hotels and resorts and God forbid all that crap. I mean, all that stuff just like totally isolates you, I think, from lo- local culture. So being poor and traveling is uh, definitely uh, there's there's something to it. You know what I mean? Like there's in terms of having a more unique personal experience. Yeah. Or if you're able to you know, still have money, but travel like you're broke type of thing, you know? And, exactly. And, and, and I will, I will never talk smack on people that travel with money or anything like that. I'm not one of those people. I don't, I judging others like based on like arbitrary things like that is just like, it's silly. I think, uh, it does happen. Like we were talking about before, you know, there's always judgment, but you know, people are always going to be like that, but you know, keep an open mind and be judgment free. And I, you'll, you'll have a, you'll have a lot more friends and you'll have a, a lot better, a lot more fun. 
Well, I don't want people to be put off by the title of this book and some of the topics we talked about today because there are a ton of resources and tips in here. Um, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about some of the things that I haven't experienced, you know, or don't have much experience with, um, like squatting and, and and the culture and things like that. I definitely think people should check out if you just want like some great budget travel tips. Matt covers so much in this book, um, everything from gear to you know, avoiding rents. I'm going to rattle off some of my favorite tips here, Matt. Just just a few that (laughs) when I was flipping through, I highlighted. Search for the best gear that was ranked the best of like an older year. The the award-winning tent from like 2013 or 2015 or whatever. Explain why you said, because your rationale behind that makes total sense. Uh, Again, a part of like, you know, punk rock anarchist culture too is like bucking uh consumerism and things like that and one of the ways you can do that is just like by obviously like find like searching for used gear you know like reusing recycling all that good stuff you know just because gear is new doesn't mean it's the best you know um i there's always like tent companies that make tents that aren't nearly as good as they were like a few years ago so like i say in the book I mean, one of my favorite things to do and best uh, tactics I've discovered for like shopping for gear is to look for gear that is three, five years old, you know, Uh, search for, you know, the best blank of blank year, you know, like and best camping stove of 2015 or whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, best tent of, you know, 2012, you know, and it's still going to be an excellent tent. And most of the time you can still find it brand new, but because like, especially American culture is a little like kind of obsessed with like having like the newest and best things like the prices on the, on older stuff, even if it's in a unopened package, brand new is going to be way less now that five years have passed, you know? Uh, so it's just a great way to get like, you know, 80% off or more on something uh, awesome, any type of travel gear, especially electronics. I mean, uh, camping gear, especially though, just because like people always want to buy that stuff new, but it really is just as good used. You know, if you got to get something shipped to you, you can use the post office general delivery. I liked this one. You talked about dumpster diving, which is a whole topic we didn't really talk about on, on this interview. But, you know, I know that's something that we've talked about on the show before, but on the surface, people are like, ew. But when you yeah. learn more about <laughs> it, you hear like, they were, you're talking about getting like packaged food that was just happened to be thrown out when not the expiration date, but like the sell by date. Is, is reached essentially. But you talked about dumpster diving at like a distribution center of a manufacturer. So like going to Lay's potato chips, like distribution center, like finding it in the online and, and actually getting it right from the dumpster there, which I thought was yeah, totally clever. It's, it's really easy to find too, especially nowadays with Google maps and things like that. I mean, you can just like kind of Google search or yellow page, look up like anything you need to find. And like I said, you know, it's like when you say dumpster diving, most people are just like, ah, you know, just like picture you, the horror of you just like sifting. You're coming through, out like, of a dumpster with like, you know, chicken bones in your hair and yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah just soup all over you or something. I don't know. Just like general gross slop. But especially again, this is American thing. Like we live in a culture where we throw away like 40% of our food or something like that before it even like gets to shelves or people's homes, you know? Uh, so, I mean, there's just a, a, 
a ridiculous amount of trash that is like prepackaged, still good, usually hasn't met its expiration, you know, that is just being thrown away into landfills all the time, you know? So there's no reason you can't like go and find these places. And like I said, you, you know, I mean, I would obviously avoid restaurants and things like that, but like, like we we're saying, like grocery stores, uh, you know, outlet malls, uh, you know, distribution centers, especially. There's one time I literally went to, I, I looked up a, a, a chip factory in uh, uh, Santa Cruz, and, <laughs> and right next to it, as we're pulling like bag after bag after bag of unopened bags of chips. Like there's a salsa factory right next door. <laughs> no way, really? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that you couldn't hilarious. make that up. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that is really <laughs> funny. Like, what are the chances? <laughs> like, all oh, right. we're very happy street kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, there's a really cool app they just released, and I, I don't know if they just released it. I think it's pretty new here in Norway. That um places can list like their leftover food and then you can go spend like a nominal amount of money and get a bunch of food that would have otherwise been thrown out. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. It's for everybody. Like people are doing it all over the city. Uh, you know, you need bread or whatever, like the hotel that had the big hotel breakfast that has a bunch of food left over, then they can put it on this app and then you can go and pick up a bag of food for, you know, cheap or whatever. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. A couple other tips, like you were saying, in dumpster diving for the cop shows up, cops show up, tell them you're looking for materials for an art project. <laughs> I thought that was yeah, funny. Yeah, that works. Uh, that works a lot. That was Especially a good idea. Especially if you like, look like you're college-aged. Right. Uh, yeah, they're just like, oh, it's college art projects. Like, you yeah, know, like, uh. It's crazy artists. Um, and um, <laughs> the last one I'll share is, uh, you know, one of the things you could do when you're camping outside of town, but if you don't want to like pay for a hostel or, you know, you know, you still need a place to shower or join a gym, but you talk about how they make all these ridiculous fees and everything. So using like a prepaid credit card so you can avoid like those gym fees. And, um, I thought that was pretty smart. So yeah, just a few of, um, few of the outstanding tips I wanted to highlight in this book and just a fun read, man. I got to give you a lot of credit just for like going out and getting this book done and it's it's awesome man so um thank you well done i'll tell uh, you what i i mean location indie uh especially uh has been very helpful uh, especially during i do cover a chapter on flights man that i did a lot of research through you guys and and other travel websites so that, that was definitely helpful for because there's an ass load of tips for if you're trying to like fly somewhere cheap uh, I have pretty much the digital nomad community to thank for that <laughs> section, uh, but I thought it was a, a, it'd be especially useful for uh, other travelers too. So I include that in the book. Thanks. Yeah, I saw you got a shout out there to Location Indian Zero to Travel. So thanks for that. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, yeah, the book once again, The Anarchist Guide to Travel: A Manual for Future Hitchhikers, Hobos, and Other Misfit wanderers matt it's always a uh, great to catch up man and i appreciate your time congrats once again and yeah rock on i hope our paths cross again soon it's been too long totally totally yeah <laughs> uh and people can you know uh it's available on amazon in print and kindle uh so if you just you know google search for it you'll see it on the top of the list yeah and we'll put it in the show notes link too and if you wanted to hear more tips around train hopping and some other things like that we talk about it in the last podcast and of course there's the book as well uh so uh the last podcast that we've recorded not the last 
not last week's, but it's <laughs> it's in the feed, <laughs> so you can just subscribe. And we'll link to that as well. So, all right, cool, Matt. Well, thanks so much for your time, and we'll uh, we'll chat soon, buddy. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, cheers. There you have it. I want to thank my buddy Matt for stopping by today's show and sharing his story with us and and his many tips, some of his many tips. And congrats once again to him on the book. Hope you dug today's show and got some insight and maybe some new perspectives on a style of travel that is not everybody's cup of tea, but it's certainly something to be aware of. And we can always cherry pick the strategies and the things that might work for us. So uh, I was really excited to share this interview and I hope that it was helpful for you. And I've got a shout out for you here um, from one of you fine folks out there in the Zero to Travel listening community, the Caravan. And in it, she reveals one of the top strategies for long-term travel success. I'm going to read a snippet of this email, and I'm wondering if you can guess what that strategy is, and I'll talk about it a little bit afterwards. Then I got a nice quote for you, because I like to finish on a quote. Um, first, quickly, want to thank, once again, Pimsler for supporting today's show. If you haven't heard of Pimsler, it's P-I-M-S-L-E-U-R. It's simply the best way to learn a language on the go. If you love listening to podcasts, if you love learning on the go, if you want to enhance your travel experience through language, it's not as hard as you think. If you go to zerototravel.com slash easy, you can get access to the Pimsleur language courses in a free seven-day trial if you're based in the States. Pick any language you want to learn. You'll get access to all those lessons. And if you're based out of the States, you can at least get a free lesson and check it out. And Pimsleur gets you speaking right away. I am a huge fan of this product. And if you're wanting to enhance your travel experience or you just want to level up the language you're learning go ahead and check them out if you haven't yet. It's, a, it's an awesome product. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy. want to thank them for supporting today's show. And if you decide to go through that link and get any of their products, you'll also be supporting this podcast. Thank you for that. Now, let me read this email from Kristen. I'm going to give her a quick shout out. She says, Hi, Jason. I'm Kristen, a second-year computer science student from Vancouver, Canada. I've been listening to the Zero to Travel podcast since January last year. Just wanted to write in to express my thanks for all the great travel inspiration and tips that your podcast has given me and share how it has influenced me. One of the recent episodes on traveling while working full-time really resonated with me because as a full-time student with limited time and money, I found it difficult to travel, but have always been searching for ways to do so. Last year, my school sent out an opportunity to apply for a scholarship to attend a tech conference. And after being inspired by Zero to Travel, I decided to apply for it and I was chosen not only did I have a trip that was paid for, the conference was a great opportunity to learn more about working abroad. She goes on to say, I'm really happy and excited that I will actually be leaving in exactly one month to intern at a huge tech company in the heart of Silicon Valley for the summer. This will be my first solo travel and also my first time living abroad. I know this summer will open my mind to new horizons. Zero to travel has motivated me to to keep searching for opportunities to travel. Even while studying full-time, I've been told many times that it would be difficult to travel while pursuing a career or being in school, but I'm determined to make it work. I'm sorry this email has been so long. This is the first time I've sent feedback to a podcast, but I really appreciate it. Thank you. Keep up the wonderful work. Thank you, Kristen. I so appreciate that you took the time to share your story, and I wanted to share it with you, uh, you, yes, you listening today, because I thought there were some great uh, points she brought up and I wanted to lock in on a couple things. First of all, 
I love what Kristen said about not only, I guess, being motivated to keep searching for opportunities to travel because it's really opening your mind up to the opportunities first. You know, you can't see the opportunities if you're not open to them in the first place. So rather than listening to the people that are saying, hey, you know, it's you can't work and you can't study full time and still travel, she figured out a way to do it. And I think it's really because she just kept her mind open to those possibilities. That is huge. So forget those naysayers. They say you can't do it because there always is a way. And I love what she said that she was determined to make it work. This is what I wanted to talk about today, determination. And this is the uh, the quote I'm going to share that ties in with this idea of determination. I really think this might be one of the top, if not the top strategy for long-term travel success or really success in anything because if you're determined to make it work, you don't care how long it's going to take. You don't you will not give up. You have that if you have that mindset and you truly have it like in your heart and you know when you have it. If you've ever felt like you know that about something, if you think back to a time that you felt that and I can think of certain times was like, you know what, no. I'm going to keep going until this happens and it does happen and it's a good feeling because you know it happened because you were determined and you stayed on point and that determination is critical because it's really easy to give up and to just kind of default to the easy thing in anything we do. You know, we're talking about travel, but this can apply to anything. So just that determination to make it work. And maybe this is hitting your ears right now and you're determined to either make travel work. Maybe you're already traveling right now and you're determined to make something else work. Whatever the case is, be determined to make it work and have that in your heart, have that mindset because you can do it. You can do it, my friend. This is this community inspires me daily. I'm so honored that you're a part of it. And when I hear these stories from all these amazing people that listen to this show, I I feel so lucky to sit here and chat with you on this microphone each and every week and just to be able to share these types of stories with all of you and then to be able to hear from you via email or wherever and, and just see what everybody's up to and how hard everybody's working to like make things happen and then the joy that comes from that. You know, life's not perfect. It's not easy. Things aren't happy and blissful all the time. If you listen to this podcast, you know, you know, this isn't about oh, the idealism of travel, like you're going to go travel and then everything's going to be great because things are going to be hard on the road too. And if you're already traveling, you know that. But overall, when you're determined to make something work and you go after things that you want and then you make them work, it is, what a great habit to build, the habit of chasing your dreams and, and reaching them and making them reality and also building those positive you know, personality traits like perseverance and you know, determination and things like that, that you carry with you through your whole life. And those are things that these are other sort of outlier concepts that have benefited my life. These things that are related to travel that I've learned from travel, but you might not on paper relate them directly to travel. You know, I can say, oh man, being in one country and seeing how you know people live has really increased my gratitude. So visceral, you know, you see some of the poor circumstances in, in these poor areas of the world. I mean, you just, you already feel grateful, but then it's just, it heightens it because you're like, wow, you know, so blessed and lucky for what I have. Um, and travel can do those types of things, those visceral things right there on the ground. But then there are these also, there are so many things, but what I'm talking about here are some of these personality traits that 
develop because of travel, either a determination to travel and then making it happen and realizing, hey, if I'm determined to do this, I can do anything outside of travel too. And other things that come from travel that would be way too much to speak about here in this outro. But it's just another aspect to travel, these positive personality traits that can build because of your uh, what you learned during the transition to long-term travel or on the trip itself or even after the trip. Uh, there are so many components to this. Anyway, uh, speaking of that transition to travel, this episode, I'm still getting emails about a past episode with Teague and Sophia, a transition to travel episode where they talked about their journey uh, before the trip. And then I interviewed them a year later after they traveled around the world. And so we got to see that before and after, so to speak. Uh, I know that episodes really resonated with people. So I put together something special. If you are in the transition to travel phase, if you're kind of working towards long-term or full-time travel or gap year or something like that, or even like a one or two month trip and you need to rearrange some things in your life, I've got something to help you out. If you go to zerototravel.com slash transition, you'll be able to sign up on a special email list where you can get some information around that because I, I have really been able to learn through my own experiences and through uh, listening and chatting with other people in this caravan and the community, how valuable that process can be when done right. So I want to put together something that can help you do that in what I think is the right way or at least give you some ideas on ways you can do that that will hopefully help you. So anyway, thanks for listening to today's show. I know I went on a bit of a rant there, but you know, it's what I do. I get in this microphone, I turn it on, and I just start chatting with you. And I am grateful that you listen and that you're here. Really, thanks for being a part of uh, this incredible global community, the worldwide zero to travel caravan that blows me away every day. This show is here for you. This is a community powered show. Get in touch anytime. If you have any topics you want me to cover, guests you want me to have on, just want to say hi, drop me a line anytime. Thanks again for listening. I'll leave you with this quote from Jesse Owens, the famous track athlete. And it's a quote on determination. He said, we all have dreams, but in order to make dreams come into reality, it takes an awful lot of determination, dedication, self-discipline, and effort. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.